Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, we are here with the Manchester City Season Review with Richard Burns. You can find on Twitter at Richard the Burns. You can also find him over with all of the Blue Moon podcast content, so go check that out if you will. But we're going to steal his time here for a second to talk about Manchester City. Uh, I just wanted to start with a with a recap of the season on the whole, obviously, uh, not the uh, silverware-laden season that, that Manchester City have become accustomed to. Uh, a little bit of dip from previous seasons. What did you make of the year on the whole, and what causes do you think there were for maybe not living up to your high standards? On the whole, it has to be seen as uh, as a disappointment overall because City are a club that target winning the league every season – Obviously, you can't win it every season, but with the quality that they have, uh, with the manager that they have, the resources, um, any season in which they don't win the league has to be seen as a season where uh, they they didn't maximise on their potential. It's the reality of, of how good they can be. Um, it was great to win the League Cup. That's almost become our signature in the last few years. I think it, it you win that. Won the... Arsenal win the FA Cup. It's tradition. Exactly. Yeah, we're on three in a row, and I think is it four in six? I think. Um, so that's always it's great to win, um, especially because we put United out in the semi-final, which is always always something to celebrate. Um, the Champions League, uh, I've said many times, it's not necessarily how I benchmark our season because only one team can win it and there are some fantastic teams that make it to the latter stage of the Champions League. So I'm cool with not winning it. I mean, I'd like to, but I I accept not doing. um, And I believe our time will come. The frustration is how we go out. Time and time again, we shoot ourselves in the foot. Um, this time I'm, I'm sure we'll probably touch on it, uh, but this time it is hard to get away from the fact that the main reason we went out of the Champions League when we did was because Guardiola got mm. his, uh, he, he made terrible, terrible decisions to set up for the quarterfinal against Leon, and uh, it, it backfired massively. So that has to be seen as a disappointment. I, I think, uh, I don't think it's arrogant to suggest that anybody looking at that tie on paper against Leon, City having finished second in the Premier League against a team that finished seventh in the French League, there should only be one winner from that. Now, obviously, the beauty of football is that it's not played on paper and it's it's not decided uh, algorithmically or anything like that. The, the, the team that deserved to win did it, but City had themselves to blame for it. Uh, and the FA Cup was disappointing because we had a, a decent run at it, but then when it came to the semi-final we were pretty poor, which leads on to, uh, you, obviously you asked what went wrong. 
the semi-final was in a nutshell what was wrong with City's season mm. they could create chances um, I, I know there weren't loads of them in the semi-final but there, there were some um, one that springs to mind was a ball bouncing off Sterling's face and, and going out wide when he was just in front of goal not one that he necessarily could have done a lot about but just things like that um, being quite wasteful which sounds daft because we finished with over 100 goals again in the league. But the reality is that we just weren't as clinical this season. Teams found ways to stop us. And what City do when when they can't get through is they resort very quickly these days to plan B. I think I touched on it on the show towards the end of the season. City's plan B is get the ball out wide, um, play it into the box, knowing full well that with what we have in the box aerially, we're probably going to lose the first ball, but then we wait for the second ball and hope that we're going to win that. And that kind of tactic is not as precise as City can be. It's not as precise as uh, as you would expect from Guardiola. And it doesn't work very often. There's been a couple of occasions when it has done, but more often than not, that tactic fails us. And we resorted to that too many times. Uh, there were a lot of games where we went behind and couldn't shift it back. We couldn't get the momentum back. We couldn't break teams down, which again is not something you associate with a Guardiola team. Um, and our defence this year was uh, was not what it's been. Um, I think this is one of those where you can look at the stats and they're a little bit misleading because I think um, I'm going to get this the wrong way around, and I should have checked this, so my apologies. But we either finished with conceding only two goals more than Liverpool or two goals less. Either way, it was very close. Yeah, it was two it. more. You, you were very close. Yeah, and obviously Liverpool's defence is absolutely lauded, and rightly so. And Van Dijk is a, a very, very celebrated defender, and absolutely rightly so. City were very close to that, but... What you know, what you learn about our defense is what you see from just watching them, and how Nicholas Otamendi was called upon a lot, but he's no longer a good enough centre back to be a regular choice at the elite level of the Premier League. John Stones, when he's called upon, um, I like Stones, and I, I'm one of the City fans who hasn't given up on him yet. Um, but that's possibly more at this stage blind faith on my part because he's, the reality is. Pep never trusts him at the end of a season. Um, and you've, you've got to say there's, there's good reason for that. Um, he's very affected when he makes a mistake. And it is true that he does have a mistake in him that you'd have thought he might have worked out of his game by now. Um, losing Laporte was huge. And we can bemoan that all we want. But the reality, again, is that we didn't replace Vincent Company when he left last summer. So... Um, Yes, any team that loses the best centre-back to injury is going to suffer for that. But if you've not given yourself a good enough backup plan, then, again, you sort of have to to look in the mirror with that one and say, well, yeah, luck hasn't been on our side, but neither was our planning. Um, And any any area where, as a top-level team that's defending but defending back-to-back titles and looking to push on in Europe, where you can look at something that you didn't do well enough, then that supersedes blaming bad luck, unfortunately. Um, so I'm not... This, I guess, all sounds quite downbeat, and I, I'm not sort of devastated with how the season's gone because you literally can't win them all, and that's fine. But there are there are massive areas for improvement um, and mistakes that we sort of not need to 
not that we need not to make again. Um, so overall, underwhelming and probably a bit of a um, in as much as this anything this year can be a non-event, it was a bit of a non-event of a season for City. Uh, albeit, I know how entitled that sounds for having won a trophy and second, but you, I'm sure, uh, hopefully, anybody listening will get what I mean. I'm not, uh, I'm not unhappy with our lot, but we could have done better. Yeah, I don't think anybody blames the fans uh, in that regard. It's just the club itself has set has set those bars so high that that missing them is uh, noteworthy. Um, if you had to put a grade on the season on a whole, what would you give it? Um, pro- of maybe like a B minus, um, because at times, so I mean, City are by any measure at the best. City are an A star team, and I think, um, I think at their best on their day, City are as good as or better than anybody in the world. And we did, we 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 saw occasions where that was the case, um, but. For the first time in three, four seasons, we just weren't consistent with it, and so that lack of consistency um, reduced them to a B minus. But I think if we, if I take it any lower than that, it's been overly harsh on uh, on what is still really quite a fantastic football team, just one that had a had a particular rival this year that were much much better than them. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody will accuse Manchester City fans of being uh, ungrateful. I just think the club itself has set such a high bar that that any time it falls short, it it is noteworthy, and I'm sure it's picked up frequently <laughs> in the press and everything over there. Um, you already addressed some of the reasons why there have been uh, struggles this season. Uh, obviously, one that you'll have to plan for next season is the departure of David Silva, not only because he's brilliant, which we've talked about on on the full EPL roundtable, but but feel free to talk about how brilliant he is again as the remaining chances to do so are dwindling. But also, do you expect his departure as another established winner and leader in the side could lead to issues in that regard looking forward? Yeah, to a, to a point, yes. Um, he is... He has been, for 10 years, he has been an absolutely fabulous player. Uh, an absolute credit to the club and a credit to the Premier League. Um, he's, I mean, I'm not, if I start, I will stay here all day. Um, so I'll just say that I think he's probably City's best ever player. Um, he's the player that in my 23 seasons as a season ticket holder, he's the player that I've enjoyed watching the most. Um because of how good he is, he's the he's the player that for for so long, um, granted in amongst a team of extremely talented footballers, he has been the player that makes everything sort of tick over game after game after game. He never really, um, of, of very rare was the occasion that he'd put in a performance that you could really score as less than a sort of seven out of ten type performance, and most of the time he's operating way way above that. Um, he's one of those players where. The beauty of what he does is that he's, some of it can go unnoticed. Um, and the nature of having a player like that around for 10 years means that younger players or maybe players that aren't quite as good, because not many are, I, I guess they can sort of come to lean on that quality. So just as players that have played in City's defence over the um, over a ten year period would have come to lean on Vincent Company or um, 
the way sort of when we're struggling for goals, we lean on Sergio Aguero. These are no bad things. Um, you know, it's not a criticism in any way. But it does leave a gap when they go. Silver's an interesting one in terms of the leadership question because although he was captain, he's not a player that when you look at how vocal he is on the pitch, he's not that kind of leader hmm. or necessarily the organiser of, of what's going on in the game. He's very much a, a lead on the pitch. He's a lead by example type of guy. Um, and, and he did that extremely well. One of the things that we often hear about him, that other players say about him, and particularly um, now we're in this this era where uh, Phil Foden's coming through, and a couple, there's a couple of other young young talents, or there's the likes of Bernardo Silva, who's obviously bedded in, uh, well, more than bedded in now, but maybe found it a bit difficult at first. All these players speak very, very highly of the advice that Silva gives them. Um, of how he is in the dressing room and that they didn't necessarily have to ask him for advice. He would seek them out and, and give it because he saw, he just sort of saw that as his role as, um, it's, a, it's a weird way to think of it, but almost as he became one of the elder statesmen at the club, he, he just took that on as his responsibility without having to be asked. Um, we know that Guardiola absolutely loved him. When you lose a guy like that who's sort of, um, affects every area of what the team does and and is loved so throughout the club that is a very hard thing to replace and I guess you almost you don't really replace something like that by buying it in that's the kind of thing that's that's built over time Hmm. I think it's fair to say that we don't have as many natural leaders as we once had when we had uh, Joe Hart, who was an extremely vocal leader and organiser. I know that's obviously going back a while now. And Yaya Torre was a player that you could look to who would just influence the game and, and, and turn it in a moment of magic. Vincent Company, um, all these guys were great leaders in their own way. And now we're losing the one who led by example. So When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, I mean, I think there is leadership in the squad. I think Kevin De Bruyne is a leader. Hmm. Um, I think you see him on the pitch the way he... To watch De Bruyne when he's annoyed is absolutely magnificent because he goes bright red. The way that he walks changes. He stomps around like an angry teenager, but it fuels him. Um, and invariably, he'll he'll kick up his performance another notch if if things aren't going his way. That, to me, is a form of leadership. Uh, I think at the back, Laporte is 
something of a leader, but not in the same way that any of his predecessors were. Um, I, I just think it, it's just it's evolving, and hopefully, players will just sort of step up to the mark in that regard. Um, I think Kyle Walker has that sort of has an element of that mm. to his game as well of being a leader. I think he's well known to be quite vocal in the dressing room, and when things aren't going well, he makes a particular effort to sort of rally the troops. Um, I always think with leadership, it's one of those things that really to to know exactly how it goes, you you sort of have to be in the dressing room to get an exact feel for it. I'm not overly concerned about it, but um, you you can't lose the type of players that we've lost over the last four years through natural attrition without without losing something and maybe having to balance the squad slightly differently and leadership qualities are just part of that balance. Yeah, and like you said, you can't just go by leaders and expect them to step into the locker room and have that same role that they had wherever they came from. Mm. Uh, you do kind of need that that inbuilt feel. Um, who do you think gets the armband next year? I think it'll be De Bruyne. The Not way, Aguero? Uh, see, the way Guardiola picks his captains is he, asks the, he lets the squad nominate the captain, basically. So I think... And Jesus that... won't vote for Aguero. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think Fernandinho will probably retain a sort of club captain type status, but I would think De Bruyne will probably wear the armband more often than not on the pitch. Um, if Aguero were to get it, I think he'd get it for sort of the same reasons that Silva did as a um, sort of lifetime achievement kind of award before he breaks my heart and sails off into the sunset as well. Um, hmm. I don't, I don't think Guardiola necessarily has the a traditional view of what captaincy is or should be. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the squad will probably plump for De Bruyne because he's our most talented footballer. And I think he he is a leader just in a different way to other leaders that we've had. Gotcha. Um, another big thing that happened... Uh... It, arguably one of your biggest wins of the year, considering what could have happened if, if you hadn't won, was your appeal uh, to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Uh, I still feel there's probably a lot of people that that uh, frown upon um, City's behavior during all of it, even though it was just all in the press and we don't really know a lot of what was going on. But mm. uh, if you wouldn't mind taking a second to uh, explain why City uh, didn't end up being held to, to the verdict found by UEFA. Uh, yeah, I'll try. Um, what I will say with this is I've not sat down and read the 93-page document. So some of this... How dare uh, you? I know, I know. <laughs> I'll I'll try um, not to sort of get into too many legal technicalities. But by my understanding, um, the judgment found that City couldn't be proven to have... Um, to have disguised equity and sponsorship and to have essentially um, to have been creative with their accounting, they were sort of found innocent of the charge that was made against them. One of the reasons that they were found innocent or one of the, the things that people really latched on was that some of, uh, some of the charges were time-barred and that 
really leads to the question, and just to be clear, I'm not here to push any conspiracy theories, but that really does make me question why would UEFA take a case or allow a case to go to the games or to go to sports arbitrary body knowing that some of the charges that they made had been had been time barred and were out of time for punishment that's very very strange to me um but the details that people missed when they saw the words time barred were that the statement actually said could not be proven or time barred there's nothing to say that had that time barred information been considered or had it been within time for punishment that city wouldn't have also proven their innocence with that one um i sort of struggle with this to a point because i'm i'm well aware of some of the moral arguments against city's owners i have huge problems with some of the things that they do um, outside of football i'm in no doubt as to why they bought a premier league football club and how that helps their image etc etc um and i think sometimes a lot that feeds into the way people feel about how the football club is run i think those things are very separate um what the I guess what City really wanted from winning the appeal was to be seen to have been absolved of what they'd done uh, and to have their reputation somewhat repaired. But as is predictable with anything, and particularly in the social media age, those who had already made the mind up were not going to have the mind changed by a judgment. They were going to pick what they wanted from the wording um, and, and still find a way to... To really criticise City for it, but the the fact is, City went into it trying to prove their innocence um, and to be able to play in the Champions League, and that's what they got. And if if people don't like that, that's that's fine by me. We're not mm. here for anybody else's entertainment or to um, you know to, to satisfy what other people want. I think it's important that as fans we call out when we see things that our club do wrong, but the reality is none of us are in the accounting department, none of us are in those meetings. What was proven beyond doubt was that what City said all the way through about the emails, the leaked emails that were used being taken out of context, that was proven beyond all doubt. It was Cass found that emails had been doctored, emails had been taken, separated, and then stitched together to look far more incriminating than they actually were, um, which is obviously absolutely abhorrent behaviour. And um, yeah, it's I, I, I don't know what more to say than they were they were cleared of it. Um, what another thing that um, the likes of Mourinho and Klopp jumped on was the fact that City were given quite a significant fine and that that was uh, It's weird because you were either guilty or not guilty. So why the fine? But they were fined for not cooperating. So that's not... I, 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 that was sort of the point Mourinho made, but I think that that was him being... And I know this is a shocking thing to say about Jose Mourinho, but I think he was being deliberately obtuse about that. Oh. Because, <laughs> I, I know, I know. Because... They were cleared of what they were accused of doing, but they didn't cooperate with the investigation because it seems that City's plan was always to let it go to Cass because they didn't trust UEFA's process. Now, 
I'm not going to sit here and say that that's a good way to behave <laughs> or that not cooperating with the governing body is a good way to go about things when if you've got the evidence, why not just present it at the time? City would have to justify that for themselves. They got a very significant fine. People will um, will laugh at that and they'll scoff and they'll say £10 million for Manchester City is not is a drop in the ocean. It's about a quarter of what they spend, well, it's a sixth of what they spent on a defender who barely played all season. I accept that point, but in um, it, it, in relation to other punishments in sport for very severe things, we live in a world where associations and clubs get fined ten thousand euros for horrific racism. So a ten million pound fine is actually pretty significant. So City had to take the medicine with that one, but I suspect they always knew that was coming, and it was it was part of the the gamble that they made. Um, it, one thing I will say is, um, and I'm not one who believes in sort of media agendas because every club has fans that believe that, but there was some horrendous reporting around City and articles from respected journalists who would refer to City as a grubby club, and um, which I think is not good language to be using. Um, and then when they were cleared, it was referred to as getting away with it, which is... You know, it's very pointed language to use. Um, I think, obviously, a, a lot was made of the uh, eight, nine clubs that signed the letter asking for City's appeal not to be pushed back, which looked pretty stupid when it came out that City had actually been requesting the appeal be held earlier because they just wanted it to be cleared. Um, th- there's a lot of bad taste left after the appeal and no doubt you know some people listen to this and think that just it's just the biased Manchester City fan defend the club at all costs but that's not it um I just think they were cleared quite clearly of what they were accused of doing and what they were punished for draw a line under it and when something else crops up that we do wrong or when our you know the quite clear human rights issues that our owners are part of in their own country that is all fair game and uh, i hate it but on the sporting side on the accounting side they were cleared of what they were accused of and i think it's important um there's, there's a time to conflate the issues and there's a time to just accept what has been judged and um you know, I know, I know what I accept. Mm. The judgment was that City can play in the Champions League in the next season, and that was what they wanted from it, and they got it. Yeah, yeah. And so, like you said, you are you are in the Champions League. None of the none of the uh, news stories about which players were likely to depart if you didn't get into the Champions <laughs> League uh, sounds like they'll wind up happening. Obviously, we we have the Silva departure, which we've already touched on, uh, and you've already brought in uh, Ferran Torres as as well as uh, replacing. Um, Leroy Sané with him uh, but I was just curious what other positions do you think we might see outgoings or incomings from for City ahead of next season I think incomings um, well there'll definitely be another but I'm quite certain there'll be another central defender uh, obviously with this story is every day about uh, signing Koulibaly from Napoli there seems to be some legs in that and a, a genuine interest. I think it's clear that we do need another central defender. And my guess is that that leads to Otamendi departing, potentially John Stones. Um, if we have to keep one of them, then maybe 
I mean, Stones is probably the sensible one to keep just on an age basis and longevity and what he might be, you know, get more value out of him in future. Um, but yeah, that that's the big one. Um, I don't expect to see any recruitment in midfield. I don't particularly think that we that that's an area we really need to improve. Um, and I'm really torn as to what I think is going to happen in terms of signing a striker uh, because Sergio Aguero is still absolutely brilliant. You could still make a case that he's the best striker in the league and if not the best, then he's, he's probably still top three. When you, you put him in that category, you know, you look at Obama Young, Harry Kane, um, I don't think you'd put still put uh, a 33, I think he is, a 33-year-old Sergio Aguero, much mm. much behind those guys. Um but he's not getting any younger, obviously. It would make sense to have a, a proper succession plan and maybe spending a bit of money on a striker this season who can play second fiddle. Um, maybe that's a sensible thing to do. We know that Aguero's had a meniscus injury, which typically I think uh, can cause quite long-term problems or sort of recovery is unpredictable. Um Obviously, we've got Gabriel Jesus, who is, you look at his goal record and it it does stand up to scrutiny. But again, you drill down into it and some of that is, you look at last season before the one just finished, like he ended the season with good stats, but five of his goals came in a 9-0 win against Burton. And he does have a habit for Mm. that. I'm reluctant to use the phrase stat padding because I think that takes away from what he does do, and he does score some important goals. He's incredibly hardworking. Guardiola loves him, and I can see why. But I wouldn't be confident if he was our first-choice striker once Aguero uh, once Aguero leaves. I don't think it's the best position to be in. So signing a striker will depend on what value is out there, because it's not necessarily a pressing need. But to me, if the money's there... It would, it would make sense to sign a striker now if we can. Um, maybe a left back, because Benjamin Mendy isn't necessarily mm. the most reliable, and Zinchenko, unfortunately, uh, because I, I love that lad, but he is he's starting to look like Fabian Delft did when he filled that role, where eventually it becomes quite clear that he's a square peg in a round hole, and that initial being impressed by wow this is a midfielder at left back once you stop thinking about that you do start to see the holes in his game he doesn't mm-hmm. read the game like a defender um and once left back isn't his position is he getting into city's midfield probably not because we've got better midfielders than him and i'd be i'd be sad to see him go um but i think within the next 12 months, if not this summer, because he won't be a priority to ship out. But I think within the next 12 months, it's probably realistic to expect that he could go. Um, and so again, I think I think we could see a left back this summer. But as to who that would be, I've, I've no idea. Uh, just from the uh, full-length season review show that Dave and I had that, that went out today as we record, uh, we, we recommended uh, Regulon from... from uh... 
Sevilla, who just won yet another Europa League. We joked earlier that, that you win uh, the League Cup, Arsenal win the FA Cup, Sevilla <laughs> yeah. win the Europa League. Why do we even bother continuing to do this football thing? Um, <laughs> all right, if you do address some of those uh, key positions, obviously the down year this year, but do you expect a, a title run, if not the title again next season? Or are you just kind of hoping for maybe a hard push in the Champions League as, as Pep's contract continues to run down? I... I'm quite confident um, with the ta- with the Premier League. I think that I think it's unlikely that we'll have a season like this where we lose nine games again. And your famous last words. I, I would expect us to push that a lot closer. I think when you look at it's very different because he's much much further into his cycle with this squad now. But when you look at how Pep reacted to his first season in England, which was very underwhelming. Uh, City finished third. They were out of the title race very early and the problems were obvious. Pep reacted really, really well to that. He had obviously great, re- backed by great resources. He went and signed the players that he needed to sign and City were magnificent for two seasons following that. I could see that happening again. I could see him being revitalised by the challenge as opposed to jaded by it. Um and so that makes me quite confident. We've already seen movement in the transfer market. I think that Nathan Ake is a very good and very astute signing. Um, I don't necessarily think he'll be our first choice, but I think he's very good. And I expect City to play a lot of football this season. So he will get plenty of game time. Um, Ferran Torres, I think, appears to be a good signing. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I've seen loads of him. I think it's important doing this kind of show to be upfront that I don't watch loads of European football. Mm. Um, but from what I've seen of him and listening to people who know far, far more about him than I do, I'm very encouraged that he seems to address a problem. Um, and I think we'll, he is the kind of player that will get fans excited. And, um, you know, sometimes it's not just the squad that needs revitalising, it's the feel around the club as well. Uh, and I think a signing like that, at what appears to be sensational value, uh, I think gives another gives another buzz around the club. Um the one thing where I'm where I'm holding myself back on how excited I'm getting or, or how optimistic I feel is that, that obviously it's a much, much shortened pre-season this year. And so you could flip everything I've said on its head and say, and say, why in four weeks would a team that lost nine games last season and struggled to come from behind so often, why would that change with only four weeks to work on it? And some of that, presumably the players are, are getting a decent break within that. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm tempering my optimism by looking at that. I think that that's a, a point I've heard made and it's a very, very fair one, but I trust Guardiola and his methods. And there's no doubt the quality in City's squad. And I'm hoping and I think that there's a real chance that Liverpool will fall into the trap that City have fallen into every time they've won the league of not strengthening from a position of strength. City never do it. They're really, really poor at recruitment when they've won the league. Even after the Centurion season, when obviously we went on to get 98 points the following year, between those two seasons, we only signed Mares, which was fine for the year after. And I think he's been a good signing but not making more improvements that summer caught up with us this season because we didn't preempt at the the issues of company leaving, so on and so forth. So I'm hoping that Liverpool fall into that trap and maybe some of the issues that they've had post-lockdown might creep in. Um, and it's their first time for a long time of 
this sounds really patronising and it's not meant to be, but it's their first time of having to defend a league title and City have seen as, as well as any team that's ever won the Premier League. We saw a, a couple of defences that were disastrous because the hunger just wasn't there and the, the players have admitted that it was a different feeling. So um, that's a cause for optimism. In regards to the Champions League, uh, I assume we'll get to the quarterfinal and then Pep will do something nuts. Um, so that's just, <laughs> just to be looked forward to. But hopefully this is the one where he's learned his lesson. I think, yes, we probably will go all out for the Champions League, but that doesn't mean that we'll get it right. Yeah. Gotcha. So uh, if you had to guess on trophies for next season? Um, I assume our name is already engraved on the League Cup. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, I'm hopeful of winning that. Uh, I'll guess. I'll guess two trophies, and I'm going to say one of them will be the Premier League. Um, but the others, who can call a cup competition? It's very, yeah. very hard. So I'll say Premier League plus a n other cup, and I hope finally that might be the Champions League. That would be quite the season, so you certainly have that to look forward to in less than three weeks when that campaign starts. Uh, but certainly enjoy uh, having you on, as always. If you'd like to tell folks where they can find you, now would be a good time. Yes, I am on Twitter at Richard the Burns, uh, and I am part of the Blue Moon podcast, which is a dedicated Manchester City podcast. Uh, we've just wound up our season um our last show of the season was after the Leon game, so you've got a very sort of um, fresh and cathartic reaction to that if anybody wants to listen to it. Uh, and also a few weeks ago after the last league game, we did our end of season live show, uh, which had to be recorded via Zoom. And we had former City player Neda Manua on, who was absolutely excellent, some great insights into... Uh, into his time at the club, he speaks about the game very well, and um, he didn't pull any punches when uh, when he felt that was appropriate. So, uh, if there's any show this season, I'd recommend people listen to it. Would be that one. Cool. Yeah, certainly go over there and listen to all of that, Richard. An absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, hopefully, we get to talk at some point next season as well, and then enjoy this very b- brief break in football. Thanks, Kev. Thank you for having me on this season. It's always a, always a pleasure. Sure has been. Take care. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.